Welcome to the Hammer Factor, where we help successful athletes and professionals share their genius with the world. I'm John Grace, your host here at the Hot Seat, and now it's time to light this fire. In the Hot Seat today, we have 2017 winner of the Western States 100, previous record holder for the fastest known time on the Rim to Rim Grand Canyon Trail, and Dog Mom. Welcome to the Hot Seat, Cat Bradley. Thanks. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks thanks for taking the time. So where does Dog Mom come from? Um, so I, uh, and I have a dog named Shirley. She is a uh, miniature schnauzer red healer mix, but Shirley is actually, um, named after a dog that I adopted in 2009, 2010. Her name was maybe, and she was, um, uh, she was, you know, I, I was 18 and I went to the shelter looking for a dog and they were like, you know, she's not a very good dog and you know, she bites and she probably going to die soon but we're going to euthanize her if no one adopts her so of course she was a full purebred red healer you know which are difficult dogs if they're not um you know tended to and uh she was great um she ended up i named her maybe she will maybe she won't you know because i had no (laughs) idea what was going to happen she turned out to be the best little adventure dog we got kind of into the outdoor industry together she um, that through hike the almost the entire Appalachian Trail with me, um, aside from some sections in Maine, and uh, she was a raft guide with me. She was on the boat with me all, all the time, and you know. And then she died in uh, 2015, and it was heartbreaking. Breaking, and it took me a while to get, um, uh, you know, to till I was ready to get another dog. And then when Ryan and I, my partner, when we adopted Shirley in 2017, we got her as a puppy. She was a rescue. Um, she was, you know, thrown in a dumpster with the rest of her litter. She was also a red healer mix, but she was also, she has miniature schnauzer in her too. And we named her Shirley. She'll be good after maybe. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Man, it's amazing how a dog can just creep into your soul. Oh, it's, it's something, you know, that only dog owners understand. And especially people who, you know, do things with their dogs and go on big adventures with their dogs, you know, um, or, you know, even go through like a hard time with their dog, you know, it's a super special connection. Man, we could do a whole show on dogs. I think that, I think at some point I'm going to have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I think I tire people out just talking about dogs. (laughs) I've had three dogs. Luckily, they all, la- you know, they all lived over 10 years. But I don't know. It's crazy. Just like you have a dog and it's just the memory of that dog is just cemented with a stage of your life. You know, like you'll never think about the AT without thinking about that dog, you know? No, no, um, absolutely not. Uh, you know, and I grew up with maybe, you know, I came into adulthood with maybe. And so that's really special, too. Yeah. Well, let's start from the top. Where are you from? Where? Uh, what were you like as a, as a as a as a young kid long before you were a ultra running champion? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Hawaii. Um, I'm the oldest of four, and uh, I naturally, I'm the next one is five years younger. And naturally, you know, that made me 
really competitive because I never wanted my sister five years younger to beat me at anything. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and also just like, I think it's in my nature, you know, my, we, my mom is very competitive. All of my siblings are. And I think it's, uh, um, you know, just a product of where I, I grew up and maybe, uh, who I was around, but yeah, I grew up in Hawaii. I was a little, you know, beach bum. I, grew up uh, doing, you know, spending most of my time in the water. And um, it wasn't until I was also, you know, kind of a little wild child, broke my leg four times in uh, between, you know, sixth and seventh grade. Um, you broke your leg uh, four times between sixth and seventh grade? Yeah. <laughs> I had fallen out of trees, skateboarding <laughs> down hills. And I just like, and I, and it was, I knew I, it was going to end up poorly, but I was just, you know, trying, like someone would be like, but you can't do that. And, you know, my knee jerk reaction was I couldn't back down and um, stuff like that. And uh, it wasn't until I was a freshman in high school where I was just getting in a lot of trouble and the school, I just like, wasn't going to class and, uh, the school was like, well, you have to do something. You have to, like, if you don't join a sport, you, you can either join a sport or spend the rest of the semester in um, detention. Uh, you know, and it was basically, they were just trying to keep me occupied. And it, it was a product of being bored and um, just me acting out. And uh, so I, you know, I joined the cross-country team and I immediately had a lot of success. And not only that, you know, I found a way to... Uh, you know, enjoy the outdoors growing up in Hawaii. You know, I, I didn't even realize what I was doing was trail running, but I was, you know, as a young girl, I was training, you know, seven, eight hours a week in uh, the mountains in Kamuela and uh, on the big island in it, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, you know, it was something I had to do every, every day. And, you know, that, that definitely um, solidified who I was as a young woman and kind <clears> of, <throat> um, you know, directed my way into trail and ultra running. How did it work in Hawaii? Did I mean, you guys, did you ever do interstate meets? You know, did you ever have, did you ever travel to yeah. the state at that time oh, to definitely. go compete? You mean to the mainland? Yeah, to the mainland. Yeah, so I did the big classic one. So I won um, states and cross country uh, my junior year and I um, traveled to the footlocker meet, but I was unfortunately... I got a stress fracture right after that. You know, I didn't really have a lot of guidance um, coaching myself. And, uh, like, I didn't have a formal coach in uh, high school. So I just – because there wasn't – you know, it wasn't a big program. And so I just ran myself to death. So I had a lot of injuries in high school. And I uh, – um, so I, I made it to Foot Locker, and I flew over and went, but I didn't race. And then we uh, did enter – you know, the state meet was – for cross country was always in Maui. And the uh, um, state meet for track was usually on Oahu. So, cool. So you ran both cross country and track. Oh yeah, definitely. And then I either played basketball or wrestled in the in the um, off season. You were a wrestler. I was a wrestler. Man, that's you know yeah. I, I have the opportunity to inter interview all kinds of athletes, but I gotta say, ultra runners are some of my favorites. Ultra runners are rad people. It's, <laughs> tell, how was your wrestling career? This is so off topic, but I gotta get into this because I wrestled all through college. So, oh, did you? So I there was no girls' team 
Um, there were like a few girls from different schools, but no girl, other girl wrestler on the big island, let alone a hundred pound girl, you know, so I was wrestling all the boys and I was practicing with all the boys and the boys were a lot bigger than me. Um, but I actually, you know, almost by default, um, made it to States and I ended up winning States <laughs> my junior year too of, um, of high school and, uh, and wrestling. And, uh, again, like almost by default, I was an awful wrestler. I was just a noodle and, um, I, you know, uh, so weak, but it was, it was, I honestly like looking back on it. I'm so glad I did it. I hated every minute of wrestling. I hated every minute. I hated wrestling the boys. I hated, you know, I thought they were so gross and stinky. I hated cutting weight, <laughs> but, but like, and back then, I think that it's more regulated now, but like, I would just, my coach would just give me a bunch of laxatives, you know, oh, two days God. before and come just eat melons. And so I remember one time, like, I, I, you know, I just like went on the mat and the guy was like, you smell like literal shit. Like, you know, it was just, and I was so embarrassed and it was, you know, but looking back it, it was fun. And, you know, I, I had a lot of good friends on the team that were like all guys that, you know, it's a, it's a unique relationship and friendships that I made. Um, and also like, it's gotten me, you know, God, you definitely learn how to suffer in a wrestling room when you're sweating it out, you know? <laughs> that's so true. It transcends to all sorts of life. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is like, I, I was all, you know, I, you know, I was a runner and I thought I had all this cardio on my, on my side. And I thought, you know, I thought it was hot shit. You know, and I went into the wrestling room and I just didn't practice. I didn't realize the, the cardiovascular stress that it, you know, it's like running a 5k, even though they're only two minute rounds in high school, it's like three, two minute rounds. And, uh, and I, it was so humbling. Yeah. It's amazing what it takes out of you. So you were a state champion, correct me if I'm wrong in wrestling and you were a state champion in cross country. Is this correct? Yep. And then I won the 800 meter in the state meet too in um, high school. But again, like I was, a big fish in a very, very, very small pond. So when I went to college, I, you know, again, I thought I was the bee's knees and <laughs> quickly I went to UC Santa Barbara and quickly found out that I was, you know, uh, you know, I was nothing but potential and no results is that, you know, <laughs> it just, it, it's a, you know, it almost ended my running career going to, uh, you know, a UC school, run it get you know going onto the team um being like a, a star recruit and then just getting shut down because <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't hang and i didn't know how to handle that so how did your running career at uc santa barbara go oh man awful i am um, uh spent the you know i quit the team my sophomore year and i uh um you know had to take a step back from school because um that, you know, a lot of money was invested and that, you know, I uh, had a scholarship for running and didn't know if I wanted to continue at UC Santa Barbara. And so I took a step back and that's actually when I hiked the, the Appalachian Trail in 2011 um, after quitting the team and kind of finding out or trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I, I moved um, to live with my mom in the East Coast. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, 
a tough, tough awakening. And I vowed to never run again, you know, when I was 19 years old. And, um, and, and uh, it, it, you know, it's so hyper competitive. And although I am a very competitive person, I didn't know what it was like to not, I kind of just, I didn't know what it was like to have to work to be the best, you know, or work to, for what I wanted, you know, and um, as a runner. And uh, even though I trained hard in high school, it's just like different when you're surrounded by the kind of caliber of athlete that the UC schools recruit. And it's, it's, it destroyed me uh, mentally. And it, that's nothing but my own fault thinking, you know, coming in thinking I was, you know, ready to hang and ready to not only hang, but have something to prove. Yeah. So when you quit and walked away from running and went to the AT, what was that experience like? Was that therapeutic and positive? Can you kind of walk us through that? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know I was going out to through hike it when I did. I, um, went out for uh, what I thought was going to be an eight-day backpacking trip, and I didn't know what I was doing. I had only been on, like, one overnight camping, like, backpacking trip, and that was in high school with some friends that I graduated with. We hiked to the top of Mauna Kea, um, and that was one of the best experiences of my life, and I hadn't done anything since because running had always taken the uh, front seat. And so when I quit, I was – and I was working uh, two jobs and took some time off to go on an eight day trip. You know, I was like, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to get back into the outdoors and, you know, ended up, I spent eight days out there um, and then called my godmother and my mom. And I was like, Hey, I, th I, and I talked to some through hikers and I was like, Hey, I, I'm going to through hike this. And my mom panicked. She was like, I will not help you do this. But my godmother um, who's grew up with my mom, um, she, uh, you know, was like, let's make this happen. Let's, uh, let's do this. So she, uh, you know, helped me, uh, <clears throat> helped me with supplies throughout, uh, drove to meet me, um, in a few spots in a few States, um, uh, drove maybe to me, uh, my dog and, uh, you know, really, and mostly just told my mom that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And she picked me up at the end. Um, and we drove back to Rhode Island together and so that was really special and it was definitely therapeutic and it was really hard and I definitely was underprepared and didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, the only reason I stayed in the trails because my mom was sure I couldn't do it <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and everyone else like was sure I couldn't, uh, but it was, you know, it was pretty spectacular. I can't, uh, I, it definitely, um, to this day and I, for, you know, and I forget sometimes how hard it was. But to this day is the uh, the best and hardest thing I've ever done for myself. So you get off the trail, and then when did you decide, I'm going to enter a race? How did that transition happen? Um, so shortly after that, uh, I went back to school and uh, went back to Rhode Island. So that was in 2011. And then in 2013, I went back to Rhode Island, was working uh, during the summer and um, just finished school. I just graduated and uh, was kind of looking for something to do. And I was like starting to run again for the first, like I still wasn't running after the Appalachian Trail. I got off and like continued. I like got, I kind of immersed myself in the outdoor industry in Santa Barbara 
and then um, got back to Rhode Island and was looking up trails and trail running, and I stumbled upon along this blog that was talking about the north to south route in Rhode Island, which went um, from the very north uh, part of Rhode Island to the very south, and it's 80 miles. And I was like, you know, I and I read this blog, and I was like, I think I can do this. Meanwhile, I was totally out of shape, hadn't been running at all. Um, <laughs> you know, was maybe doing 10 K a week uh, at that point, just trying to get back into it. And again, my mom, you know, thought I was crazy. And my godmother's one that crewed me for that. And I went out and did it. I didn't actually finish. I got to mile 40 and this is like, there was no GPS watch or anything. I just like had a Timex and was looking at a paper map and got lost a few times and I made it 40 miles. And, uh, my godmother and I was like limping in my godmother was like okay get in the car I support you through anything but like you look terrible <laughs> and um, that's that's kind of what's kick-started it and I quickly after that um uh I signed up for my first 50k and my first 100 miler and in, in the same sitting and uh um did my first 50k in 120 in 2013 shortly after that Okay. Or 2014, my first 100. That was Bryce 100. And then, yeah. Yeah, and both were hard and both same story. I was working full-time as a mountain guide and um, and uh, in a restaurant. And uh, I didn't – I just, like, you know, put training on the back burner. And all of a sudden, it was June and it was time to run 100 miles. And I was like, well, hopefully <laughs> the little bit I did is enough and guts will take me to the rest. And I was actually DFL – uh, dead effing last on the uh, my first hundred, and uh, <laughs> it took me thirty six hours. Um, Did you make the cutoff? I made the cutoff, just hardly. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of all it takes for the, for the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you decide? Was there a mentor who who brought you along? And how did you become competitive? Because in a very short time from this race finishing dead last you were winning some of the most prestigious races in the world how did that happen so I um was in Winter Park when I uh, I moved to Winter Park in 2013 when I just started uh running you know doing trail running but I was you know I was signing up for these races and again you know not training just signing up and then uh and when I say not training like maybe I was running twice a month you know, I was skiing a lot and I was, you know, a raft guide. It was, it, so like my cardio was really good, but I, I, you know, there's something to be said for actually running, you know, your, my legs weren't strong. And then, um, I met my partner and moved down to Boulder. Uh, when we, when we started dating, I moved down to Boulder and I was planning on moving down to Boulder anyway. I was like kind of sick of that living that seasonal life, you know, cause seasonal work is tough and being a mountain guide and a raft guide is you know it's not good money and uh it's hard and I you know and you're just it was tough because I was surrounded by just like a bunch of people who drank too much and all they wanted to do was party and you know and that was fun for a little while but I just got sick of it um so I moved down to Boulder and that's really when something shifted because I couldn't go out and ski for my um, morning workout, you know, before work, I couldn't go out and uh, 
you know, hit the raft. So my, my way of getting outside instead of being on the raft in the water or, uh, you know, on skis was running. That was my way of getting outside every day. So naturally I got, you know, a lot fitter and I have that runner and, you know, I was always competitive, you know, trying to be competitive in these races. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm just a competitive person. Um, but like when, when I went from running once a month to, you know, five days a week, of course I got a lot better. And of course, and you know, being around that Boulder community, which is so hyper competitive and so hyper focused, you know, all these guys, you know, a normal afternoon run, you know, is two hours after work in Boulder. So, uh, and I was just along for the ride. I was just making friends with Rocky mountain runners, you know, just trying to meet people and, and all those guys are such experienced ultra runners. You know, I was running with um, my partner, Ryan Lassen, one of the co-founders of uh, Rocky Mountain Runners, along with Ryan Smith and Soke Coaster. Soke, you know, has won several hundred mile races. Ryan Smith, you know, top 10 at UTMB. He's won Leadville, you know. And, it, you know, and we were all roommates uh, for several years. So we, uh, you know, we live trained eight together and uh, you know of course I'm gonna get better when you know my life is revolving around the sport yeah there's a a lot of research out there that says you're the combination of the people you spend the most time around and if that was your crew you were probably gonna get fast I know I know and you know and I think having that mountain experience um, and, you know, through hiking experience definitely helped me. And then along with my uh, uh, background in the, I specialized in the 800 meters and um, high school and especially college and like knowing how to do a hard workout, you know, but also knowing how to be out for 20 hours, you know, cause some days on the AT I was, you know, just because I was cold or I was wet or like was sick of it sleeping on the ground I just would walk so I knew I knew how to push hard in a workout and I knew how to be out for a really long time and I think you know that really came together um and ultra running was kind of the perfect sport for me so 2017 you won the western states 100 was that your first time entering that event um it wasn't my first time it was my second so I had done um I just missed one year by accident, which I did this year too, like an idiot. But I had like, so I'd entered the lottery, um, after punching my first, uh, qualifier, then I forgot a year and then I did it again. I entered the lottery in 2016 and I was selected off one lottery ticket, which is like unheard of the year I won. So in 2017, I, I only entered once, even though I had previously entered before, um, it was just like messed up because I forgot a year and right. then, uh, and your odds go up every year. So I only had one ticket going in, but I only ran Western States once and I still have only run it once, um, in 2017, the year I won it. So walk me through that event. What for our listeners who don't understand, what is the Western States 100 and walk me through your race. So, um, the Western States 100 is, you know, often called the Super Bowl of ultra running. You know, it's the uh, it's the oldest hundred mile race. It's also usually the most competitive uh, in the country and in the world. And uh, it runs a hundred miles from Squaw, uh, California, to Auburn, California. You know, and um, it's notoriously hot. Like the year I did it, it was, you know, 110, 120 degrees all day. Actually, the year I did it. 
it was cra- it was called the year of ice and fire because the first 30 miles were snow like literally post tolling you know snow up to my knee and then the ne- and then the, after that it hit the top 5 hottest temperatures ever hmm. and uh, it was the hottest ever average temperature from start to finish so like the usually at night when the sun goes down the it cools off a little bit and that year it didn't um, but anyway, I, um, so that race, I, uh, you know, again, I got in off one lottery ticket. I was already signed up for a race that same weekend in Europe. And, um, I wasn't, uh, you know, I entered not thinking I was going to get in thinking I was just, you know, playing the lottery game, you know, I was going to enter every year, but as soon as I got in, you know, I was excited, uh, nervous but you know I made a commitment I made a commitment to take running more seriously and uh, I was uh, teaching kindergarten at the time and I was uh, you know I I wanted to win you know I trained no you know I was definitely the underdog uh, even though I'd had you know some good results leading up to it I uh, but I you know I in my heart of hearts I I was training to win and you know, the only people I told were my, uh, boyfriend, my coach. And, um, you know, on that day, it just was, I woke up and I knew I was fit. Um, I have a lot of training partners in Boulder that are women who are also running, uh, the Western States that year. And I was, you know, I was pulling ahead and workouts and long runs and I knew I was fit. I was, you know, fitter than I had been since high school. And, I woke up that day and that, you know, I was post holing through the snow and I, uh, I saw, even though I was fit, like post holing through snow for that long, is tiring and it's so hard, uh, mentally. And I was frustrated and I thought, you know, I thought that all that hard work and my commitment to being, uh, you know, I, I, I my commitment to being that 2017, uh, Western States champ kind of withered for a little while. I was, cause I was so, the snow almost broke me, but the second there was dry trail, you know, I realized I was being kind of ridiculous and I made a commitment or I made a promise to myself, you know, just a goal, which it's kind of an unreasonable goal in usual circumstances. But I told myself I wasn't going to get past from then on mile 30 to the finish by any man or woman. And at that time I was probably in seventh or eighth place. And, uh, I, I didn't, I, and I had a really steady race and I just kept going and I didn't get passed by anyone for the rest of the race, man or woman. And, uh, um, you know, and not people say that I had a perfect race that day and, you know, I definitely had a good race. I felt good all day. I felt strong, but you know, I also was really, you know, I also had, bathroom issues and I also had stopped eating at mile 80 because I couldn't hold anything down and that's just the nature of ultra running and I think that day I was able to come out of it the toughest and that's all it is you know it's who can be the toughest on that day yeah it's hard to eat when it's that hot so at mile 80 you're prop you're crossing Ruckachucky, I guess somewhere around in there yeah I stopped eating after so my pacer and I picked up Brian Smith um uh, who uh, it's, had run Western States the year before and really quick guy. And uh, again, he was my roommate. We were living together at the time. Um, and uh, we ran, so Magda, who was, a, was an Olympian and had won Western States 20, 2015, 
she was running right behind me and uh she was maybe five minutes behind me at that point uh at uh rucky chucky after we crossed the river and ryan smith told me we're running every step of this climb and so we did we ran all the way up to green gate you know it's three mile climb or something and um and but and, and it you know, that definitely put a gap between Magda and I, but it destroyed, you know, it hadn't gotten cooler. The sun wasn't down yet. And I think that wrecked my stomach and I just had to stop eating <laughs> and that was pretty rough, but you know, it, I did what I had to do. <laughs> savage. That's so savage. Well, it helped every time Ryan Smith, every time I tried to hike a hill, he would look at me and say, Kat, you're better than that. And, you know, he was just such a good pacer and he knows me so well that he knew exactly what to say when, uh, um, when it needed to be said, you know, and no BS. What was it like going around that track at the end of it? For those, for our listeners who don't know, at the end of this race, there's a high school track that all the runners do what three quarters of a loop around. And there's usually a pretty big crowd there, especially for the winners. What was going through your head at that time? You know, it's not so much before the track that, like, really hit me emotionally hard. It's right. Um, so at mile 99, there's this big, it's the last climb of the race, and it's this big, uh, you get off the trail, you pop out um, on a road, and then you have to climb up to Robbie Point, and it's, you know, a really steep asphalt road and it it's goes through a neighborhood and it just sucks and it's you know you're one mile from the finish and I crested that hill and I see the headlamps of um you know Ryan my my Ryan my partner and uh we've been together for six years now and my partner and um Soke who Soke is Ryan Smith's wife and uh, again we're all living together at this point Soke is eight months pregnant crewing me in at Western States, you know, out there all day. Um, I see all my, my good friend, Sean, uh, that, and Sean and I got into ultra running together and I see so many people who like, you know, an ultra running, you know, in itself is such a solitary sport. You train so often by yourself, but seeing like cresting those hill and that hill was hard. And I was like, just running away from Magda forever. It hadn't hit me that I was going to win yet. And then I saw those people to run me in and it was, I, I'm get you know, I haven't thought about this in a long time and I'm getting teary eyed because I was like, these people are all out here for me and to see me win, yeah. you know, my best friends, my partner, and it was, you know, people who have become family to me through this sport. So it, you know, it hit me really hard then. And, uh, that I gotta say, not so much even crossing the finish line because things are crazy after the track and it like wasn't that enjoyable. You know, you have to sit in the drug testing tent forever mm. and I didn't get to like celebrate with Ryan. Um, and But after, but cresting that hill and having those guys run me in was to this day probably the, one of the most special moments in my life. And one of the moments you're like, wow, like I'm, you know, not only am I doing this amazing, have, I've just run a hundred miles, but I have all these people out here for me, you know, it's, and the, it, that doesn't happen very often. If it does, you know, take, realize it for what it is, you know, realize that not everyone has that. Not everyone has all those people. Yeah. That moment of being thankful, you know, it, I got cold chills on my arms hearing that story. That's great. That's a, <laughs> that's a long way from the girl who couldn't hack it at UC Santa Barbara track. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. <laughs> Let's switch gears here to the Grand Canyon. Now, what is your relationship with the Grand Canyon? 
So I um, ran the Grand Canyon for the first time uh, in 2014, and I was running with my friend Sean from college, and then we he and I got into ultra running together. And Luis Escobar, who's kind of a legend in the sport, and like took Sean and I under our, our wing. And um, it's funny you mentioned Luis because I interviewed you, Luis, recently about his snowman race that he's working. Oh on. yeah, um, I know it's such a cool opportunity. I'm I, I actually was going to do that race, and I'm so bummed it just didn't work out. With uh, I was just too worried with all my injuries um, that I wasn't going to be able to hang. But anyway. Um, so we all went, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I, again, I was working so much. This is in the time where I wasn't, you know, training or I would just like going out and doing these big 50 mile efforts and then not running again, another step for three months. So, you know, Sean, the night before, the night before we do rim to rim to rim, we're camp, we're all camping out and I'm planning on only going to the river and back, but we're drinking, uh, and you know, uh, we're drinking tequila and Lewis, you know, challenges me, says I can't do it. Sean's like trying to get me to do it with him. And, uh, and I agree. And I agree. And we wake up the next morning at 3am and start at 4am and I'm all hung over, you know, still not quite sure if I'm going to do the whole thing. And, um, but you know, I do. And I, I run it and it turns out, and it, that was my first time seeing the Grand Canyon too, was the day I did run a trim trim. And it was the most spectacular thing I've ever, I've ever seen. And, you know, there are some days that just click. And I didn't suffer for a second on that run. And, you know, it took us 16 hours to go to double cross it. And it was, um, I was with Sean and Lewis and uh, a bunch of people from uh, Lewis's Born to Run community that I've, you know, I still stay in touch with and still, you know, treat me like a daughter and, it was um, that day we were running back from the canyon, and I'm we're uh, you know running into Phantom Ranch on on the way back. We started South Rim, so you know we're about you know 35 miles in, um, and uh, Lewis starts telling me about the FKTs, what they are, and he says, uh, and he you know Lewis has always known uh, that. You know, if I put myself into it, I, I could be good. He told me, you know, in, uh, in, you know, right when he and I first met that, like, I could be a really good ultra runner if I put my mind to it. And he told me that day, I, I bet you can't go for the FKT. He always knows what I what I need um, to go for it. And I said, you just watch me. So from that day, my first time up crossing, I had this goal of setting the FKT in the Grand Canyon. And, uh, you know, I think it was solidified that that was, you know, the Grand Canyon. It, everything clicked. I, I ran a 50 mile day because we went up Bright Angel and I didn't I didn't hurt for a second. You know, every second of it was fun. Took a 16 hours, you know, was loving it. I was trying to race people to the top at the end. And um, yeah, it was so special. And. Uh, and so I think that solidified the importance of the Grand Canyon to me. And like, I had the best, still one of the best runs of my life that day. And, and then Lewis challenged me and, you know, and then I got excited about it. And so uh, a few years later, uh, Ryan and I, maybe the next year, maybe 2014 or maybe 2015, Ryan and I go out and uh, um, I'm totally underprepared. 
you know, it's my MO. I just started a kindergarten teaching job, I, you know, my first year. And uh, we, I, not training because I haven't figured out my schedule yet. And, uh, and I, where I am training for like 30 miles a week and, you know, didn't, I totally, because I had such a good run that first time, I totally underestimated the effort and what it was like to do in half the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I totally blew up. Ryan and I went out, Ryan paced me for it. Um, and, uh, blew up. It was, you know, there was a lot of things going on. I happened to have bronchitis too. So it, you know, but it was, I took the weekend, you know, I took time off work. So it was the only time I could go for it. And it was just a total suffer fest. And, um, you know, that day made it even more important to me. And then I went for it again, uh, uh, in 2017 after Western States. And I, you know, I was planning on going training for Western that fall, uh, that the April before Western, I was actually planning on going for it again. Um, and that's where like the, you know, I was thinking to myself the whole time I was like training for Western. I was like, you know what, if I can just get the Grand Canyon FKT, nothing else will matter. And, um, I trained really hard and I, you know, it then, uh, there were some rock slides in the Grand Canyon, so I couldn't go for it. It was delayed again, but you know what? I had all that fitness and without, you know, if I wasn't thinking so hard and focusing so hard on the Grand Canyon, um, then I probably wouldn't have won Western States or Canyons 100 K, which came before Western. And then I went for it again in 2017, the fall of 2017, October. And, you know, again, a lot of things went wrong that day and just didn't get it. And I finally, uh, you know, and with every attempt, there's important, you know, growing importance, and it becomes this project, just this, like, this magnetic force, almost, that keeps me grounded to the sport, it keeps me grounded to my other goals, you know, it, and, uh, you know, and it's when you dream about something every day, all day, from, you know, 2014 to now, the importance just, you know, increases every day. So by the time I got it in 2017, even though I had just won Western States, that was my biggest accomplishment in my eyes. Um, and then a year later, it was, you know, I was kind of struggling with running at that point. You know, I, all, I went from like having a full-time job to all of a sudden being a, uh, you know, pro athlete almost overnight. And I was kind of struggling with all the implications of that and uh someone got my fkt um almost to the day a year later and uh i um immediately refocused and uh you know refocused on wanting you know to go after it again so the grand canyon rim to rim trail how much how describe that trail what is the elevation the distance uh, for our listeners who don't know so the FKT, the official FKT route um, is our fastest known time route is from South Kaibab uh, over to the North Rim and back up South Kaibab. And it's 42 miles, around 12,000 feet of elevation gain, um, 24,000 feet of change. Uh, South Rim, one of the steep, steepest trails I've ever been on. North Rim is more runnable. Uh, going up to the North Rim and then uh, you're running around uh, along the little Colorado River um, for uh, or like a little creek for going across the canyon for the rest of the in the middle of the canyon so it's you're literally running down 6,000 feet 
running across, running up 6,000 feet, turning around down 6,000 feet across, and then up 6,000 feet. So, it's a, you know, when you get to that last 6,000 foot climb, it's certainly a, it's hard going, going up South Kaibab after having, you know, 30, for the fastest miles you can possibly run on your legs is the hardest thing you can do. I think it's, it's so tough. Now you talk about the FKT, the fastest known time. How do you break down the purity of that? Can you have pacers? Can you have aid? Can you have crew? How does that work? Yeah. So there's a, the FKT for the Grand Canyon is a supported FKT. So um, when I actually got it, I had uh, Jim Walmsley pace me for most of it. He was coming off a hundred, so I actually dropped him going out of South Kaibab. Um, and you can have crew too. So he, uh, you know, helped fill up water for me and stuff. But um, you know, it's a tough place to have crew too because uh, the the North Rim, if you drive it, is you know five hours away from the South Rim. You know, it's a really big effort to. Uh, or it's a really big ass to have someone drive five hours from where you are. So I've had people pace it before. Um, I've never had someone just sit there and crew, but, uh, that, you know, I think that's the way to do it. Having a pacer coming out of South Kaibab is, you know, very helpful if you can get one. It's a big ditch. It's a big ditch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big ditch. I want to touch on a little bit of what you were saying earlier. So, Tell me about this moment when you, you, I mean, you kind of came out of nowhere, really, winning the Western States, having what they call the perfect race, setting this FKT. All of a sudden, you're getting approached by sponsors. How did all that transition happen for you? So I wouldn't quite say I came out of nowhere. I think the the other women that were gunning for top 20 were certainly aware that I was racing. I'd just come off a win at Canyons, 100K. Um, where I'd gotten Magda's course record, who Magda was a previous winner of Western, and I'd run, won Rio de Lago um, and gotten a course record there. And uh, so, like, I didn't come out of nowhere, and, like, Solomon was, you know, I was already an ambassador for Solomon, and they were giving me support, um, race support. And uh, so, and, yeah, the people who were racing, the women who were racing definitely knew who I was, but it wasn't a priority in my, I mean, it was a priority. I was training to win Western, but it wasn't like my whole life. I was working a full-time job too. Um, but I got laid off. I found out I wasn't going to be teaching the next year in March. And so, um, I finished out the school year, uh, with my kindergartners and all of a sudden, and then one Western state shortly after that. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, come around the, t and I was fine. I had a great summer after that. Um, but come August, when I'm supposed to be back in school, you know, all of a sudden I don't have a nine to five and I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I, it, it was too much time. You know, I was taken surely on like too many walks, <laughs> you know, just to kill time. And, uh, and again, like it, it's not so much, you know, I kind of fell out of love with it for a little while just because. It's not that I don't love competing, but it's that like running when I was working was this uh, break for me. It was like what was keeping me sane. And then all of a sudden it, it was the only thing I had to do that day, you know, for right. a little while. I've since, you know, started a coaching business and 
um, uh, you know, have had other things on my plate, but, um, and do, you know, do more things like this. And, uh, but you know, that first year was tough and I, I just didn't know how to handle it. And then, so I ended up running too much. Uh, I ended up overtraining and had a bunch of health issues that year. And, uh, just like, and then again, like from my car accident, we we're going to talk about injuries just like, and every run was painful, you know, even training for 2017, every run was painful, but because it was only my one hour and my only thing I had to do that day, um, you know, my one hour of running and then I taught, you know, then it didn't matter how my run felt. Uh, but when my run felt terrible every single day, and that's the only thing I had to do every single day was run. It was, and also I can't afford PTs at this time because I'm only making a small ultra runner salary, you know, um, which is small. Yeah. Which is, I mean, funny enough, I'm making more, I made more as an ultra runner right off the bat as I did teaching, but I was not making a lot teaching at all. Um, you know, I was living paycheck to paycheck for sure teaching, but, uh, but like the, just being in so much pain every single run and then having that be my only thing to think about was like, wow, again, my rent, you know, I was in a ton of pain, tons of nerve tension on my run and I don't know what to do about it. I can't lift or do PT cause I don't know what, how to do PT. I don't know how to do it by myself. And every time I do any kind of strength exercises, it aggravates my back. Um, yeah, so it's just, it was just a lot, uh, mentally and like when you're when runs hurt um you know it really takes the joy out of it and uh, that's really what happened did you feel a level of pressure like a new sense of pressure you know it wasn't ever pressure from sponsors but it was pressure i was putting from on myself i almost felt like i was that high school girl again going into a you know going into a college, a collegiate program, you know, just, it was just a, a new step. And I felt like, because I, even though I had all these results, and I had, I was fast, and everyone, you know, who was around me wasn't surprised when I won Western, but because everyone was saying, you know, it came out of nowhere, it's a fluke, I, I did have the pressure, I was like, and I was pissed, I was pissed at people, especially other women in the sport, we're saying that we're saying it was a fluke, not women in Boulder who ran with me and knew me, but like other women who competed, you know, and it, it was just, it, I felt like I did have something to prove just like I did, you know, as a freshman in college and, and that sucked. And that, that says something that needs to change about the community. Um, but I don't know, maybe all competitive communities are like that. So, uh, but it, it, uh, it definitely put a lot of pressure. It made me put a lot of pressure on myself because I was like, well, people are telling me I'm a fluke. I, I need to prove them wrong. And then meanwhile, I can't run for, you know, an hour without excruciating pain. And like, again, the people who run with me now and run, ran with me then are like, it's amazing to see you run and not have to stop every half mile because I was, when I wasn't racing, when I was training, um, and everyone in Boulder who ran with me will attest to this. It was, I was having to stop every half mile because like the pain would get too great. And then I'd stop and I'd let it ease a little bit. I'd let it calm down. And then I'd get like another half mile and then have to stop for another couple minutes. It was crazy. And I'm just so grateful uh, that I'm feeling better. And I'm grateful that I've got a better head on my shoulders, uh, that, that I'm not putting so much stock in what my competitors say or think, um, you know, cause 
that's unproductive and it's too much too much airtime for people who are saying awful awful stuff do you think there's a little bit more do you feel like on the on the women's side versus the men's side there's a little bit more of uh i don't know savage com- commentary amongst the competitors uh, I think there's it's might be getting better, but I've I've read a lot of studies, and I actually wrote an article um, for Trail Sisters that because women have had to fight for less spots in all aspects of life since you know the beginning of time, we've had to fight for uh, less opportunity. You know, um, there's less opportunity out there for women, and that's included in trail running. So, understandably, it's going to be a more hostile environment, uh, woman to woman. And some people might disagree with me. And honestly, I think maybe it's because I've really taken a step back, but I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, uh, but it got it. I do think that, uh, you know, women in sports, it, you know, it can be an incredibly hostile environment. And I experienced that in college and I experienced that on the professional level and even, you know, on amateur level, like I remember running the bear 100 and some woman who was running with me, you know, looked at me and we'd raced a few times and she kind of knew who I was, looked at me. This is bear 2015 where, you know, I, I wasn't a threat to anyone. And, uh, she looked at me and said, what are you doing running up here with me? And, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Uh, and at that time it fueled me, but you know, when I'm, you know, have more ambitious goals and, uh, it did get to me for a little while. And, you know, Ryan and I like to say, you know, we live in Ned, we live at 8,500 feet in this little town above Boulder. And we like to say that we're above the bullshit because there's, you know, Ned, there's no, no athletes up here, you know, that, you know, there's not like a super tight knit running community that's hyper competitive. We, you know, we just do our own thing. And it's been, I cannot tell you how freeing it's been to be around that commentary from, you know, competitors and fellow runners, you know, where it's always like, who's doing what and, uh, so-and-so shouldn't be doing this and so-and-so should be doing this and so-and-so, you know, needs right. to gain five pounds and so-and-so needs to lose five pounds, you know, it's so exhausting. And right, it's, right. I, I, and I just like both Ryan and I, you know, who were so embedded in that community and, you know, the running community as a whole just exhaust got, you know, we were b- both burnt out on, um, on that. And so, you know, we're so lucky to be living up here. So you have this period where you're, I don't know if burnout's the right term, but you definitely have lost a little pep in your step, for lack of a better term. And then someone beats your FKT, and you sort of get a, a, you know, a little bit of a fire lit under your butt. Mm-hmm. What happens from there to going to attempting the FKT? Um. So, you know, in the last couple years, my uh, the so I my injuries come from I got in a car accident in uh, 2015 and broke my pelvis and uh, b- broke my ribs and had a bunch of nerve damage in my back. And, um, and I never addressed it because, you know, I was 23. I couldn't afford, I didn't have health insurance, couldn't afford anything. And it was, you know, so I didn't address it. And then I came back to running too quickly. Um, and since, you know, the injuries have just, you know, built up and built up and built up as I've gotten older and they, um, uh, and the last, after she got my FKT, I was training to go for it again. And I kept training, but God, that I could only, and this has been true for the last 
you know, since Western States is I'm only able to put, you know, three good weeks of training and then I have to take three weeks off because of, you know, the incredible amount of pain I'm in. Um, and then it's, you know, six weeks of good training, you know, and it's still not, it wasn't, you know, right now I'm better than I have been in a long time. And I think it's because I've had to take a step back with coronavirus. You know, a lot of my goals have been put on the back burner, but it was just so, it was so frustrating and I just wasn't able to get fit enough. Um, and I, I kept trying to, you know, I'd have to take time off and then I'd get so frustrated that I, that I felt like I wasn't doing enough and, um, and I just want to, you know, I'm so competitive and eager and I just want to get back out there. So I pushed myself too fast and I really haven't, you know, had a good 12 week training block in a, in a really long time. And so, uh, you know, I was supposed to go for it again. I finally like thought I strung together good enough training to go for it again, uh, this spring and with, COVID, I, I, of course, couldn't. Um, but, you know, I think so much of it is a blessing because I, you know, I was pushing myself to get back too quickly again. And my like when when things are good, they feel good. But like when things are bad, I'm running out half a mile and like limping home, you know, crying and with terrible sharp pains in my back and my in my glutes and, um, and down my leg. And that's just all the nerve tension and, uh, from, um, and nerve damage. And it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's really frustrating and hard. Um, but I think, you know, I took, you know, four really good weeks off in February and then, you know, maybe came back a little bit too fast. And then I took another really good, you know, six weeks of, you know, no pressure, you know, getting out from mostly walks and, uh, spending a lot of time on the stationary bike when I felt like it. Um, but, and I, I'm finally, and, you know, talking to, for people out there with injuries, you know, I've had, I, and finally I've been seeing a PT and I have been for a few years, but you got to get one that listens to you. You know, I've seen people who have been like, you know, not even looking at my x-rays from before, not even looking at my running form and just being like, do more single leg squats. And I'm like, dude, single leg squats are what aggravates my back the most. I can't. And so, you know, finally I found a PT who's listening to me for the first time and, you know, reviewed my x-rays and reviewed, saw how I ran and, that's been made all the difference in running pain-free and then also just giving myself a break and not trying to run through the pain. Like anytime for years, you know, I was running through awful pain, taking a ton, a ton of anti-inflammatories and like even, you know, Ryan, my partner discourages anti, the use of anti-inflammatories and I was being sneaky about it, you know, because <laughs> I didn't, you know, I wanted to train. I felt like I had to train and you know, I didn't want him to see. So leading up into Tarawera, which I DNF'd and I was taking a bunch of anti-inflammatories and stuff. And, uh, and you know, after trying to train again, so I'm just, I I'm in a place now, you know, I've had a few big weeks with no pain, which has been, you know, actually no pain. I've thrown that out there a lot, but that, you know, I'd say I'm, I'm for the first time really, really in no pain um most of the time and when I am in pain I don't make myself run through it these days and that has been you know I think made all the difference you know on days where my back flares up I I you know I say not today 
Do you think that as far as your physical therapy and getting back to some semblance of balance, just listening to your body more has been the biggest, the biggest help in that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's been a few things that has been really helpful. It's been listening to my body, you know, not when things hurt, there's, when you're thinking about what hurts every single step or thinking about how to step to make it not hurt every single step, then shut it down, you know, and I, I wish I knew that. I knew that. I knew that for so long, but I didn't do it until really the last few months. And it, it has, you know, and it for it's frustrating because, you know, sometimes you go out every day and you have to walk home. Um, and, uh, you know, that was happening a lot. That was happening a lot. And then one day, one week, it just, I didn't have to walk home uh, at, at any of my runs. And that was huge. Um, so that's the first thing, listening to my body. And then also having a PT that listens to me. And, you know, I, I feel like so many PTs, you know, are are clouded by what they think they know. Um and I'm not, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, my, I've, over the last five years since this accident, I've worked with a lot of PTs and so many times I've left in tears or I've been so hopeful when I've seen them for the first time. And then it's just been the same thing of them, you know, not listening to me at all, treating symptoms and not the problem, telling me to do exercises when I tell them to, I do these exercises and I, I can't run the next day. They, you know either tell me I'm not doing enough of them or it'll get better and it doesn't. And I, I think it's so important to have a professional that, uh, the right one, you know, the right one that listens and, uh, you know, makes you feel validated and what you're feeling. Um, and doesn't make you feel like you're just a checkbox that you're just an appointment, you know, right. like I've had so many PTs that like, like this one that I'm talking about, I saw, I gave him two chances and I, I went in once and he made me do like an hour single leg squats in this. And, you know, it's my first time seeing him and like the single leg squats, like I'm doing them and like, I'm fighting back tears. I'm in so much pain. And I try and tell him he's like, keep doing them. He like walks away for half an hour you know, talking to someone else while I'm paying $110 an hour, you know, to see him. And, and then a year later, my coach encourages me to go back to this one, same PT. And, uh, it's the same thing, single leg squats. And like, that's the number one thing that's been aggravating my back. And, uh, and I've had, you know, that, that, and again, like walks away halfway through the appointment. That's the only thing he tells me to do. Um, and it, it, and this other PT that I'm working with now, we've only done virtual stuff. And like, I've been like, okay, this, we, he, she sent me a list of exercises and I'm like, this exercise, this exercise, this exercise really aggravates. This is what I'm feeling. And then she's like, oh, that makes sense. It's probably because of this, you know, it gives me a reason and then adjusts the plan. And that has been unbelievably helpful. Nice. That is so cool. So what do you think, what do you think as far as, you know, you, as you go through training and you, and you, and you develop this layer of health, what, if you had to pass on one aha moment to someone else who's struggling with an injury, what would that, what would that one aha moment be? Um, whew, gosh, that's so tough. Um, because you know, I felt like I've had so many in the year over the years and they've just been false summits. If, uh, you know what I mean by that? Like, uh -huh. I, I feel like I have the solution. And then 
uh, you know, two days later, it slips through my fingers. Um, but I'd say, I don't know, talking to my new PT, uh, her name's Sarah, she's in Boulder. Um, I, she like having her just, uh, listen to me and, you know, just that, that, like it almost helped the next day like after talking to her and having someone being like yeah your pain makes sense like I'm looking at your x-rays you know of course that's not going to heal like your back is damaged like we're going to take a really conservative approach like this you know that that was my and just feeling like I I wasn't in it alone because like even when I'd CPTs and I still felt like I was in it alone I still felt like they weren't invested in me and uh, that, you know, find someone who's invested in you. And like, if you feel like your PT is not doing enough, you know, speak up if you, because that it's their job to help you. And if they, if you feel like you're not helping you, it's not your responsibility to please them or to keep your mouth shut. And I was doing that for so long and being like, well, I guess I'm not the professional. Like, I guess I'll listen to what they say, but you know, they're not perfect. Um, and we put so much stock in what they say so often that it can, you know, lead us down a, you know, a rabbit hole of doing the wrong thing for years. And that's what happened to me. So, right. you know, find someone who's invested as in you as much as in, you're invested in yourself. Switching gears here for a second. Let's get into some nuts and bolts. What about training? When you're feeling good, what kind of, what does your week look like? So right now I'm running, uh, you know, between 70 and 90 miles a week, um, you know, which I think is my sweet spot. Uh, I, uh, I'm, you know, again, I'm kind of just tipping the toes, my toes in the water right now because you know, I don't know when my back's going to flare up. So I'm taking everything really, really slow and easy. And I'm putting no pressure on myself to do a run if anything hurts. But nuts and bolts, I train between, you know, 12 and 20 hours a week. And that includes, you know, 45 minutes of PT and yoga every day. Um, that includes post-run mobility. I include all the that stuff in my hourly, my weekly, you know, hours. Um and, uh, you know, I do, you know, one to two harder runs a week and then the rest are, you know, something I've learned to help keep me injury, you know, to, to keep my injury flare ups less frequent is to, there's no such thing as too easy on easy days. You know, the best Kenyan marathoners who run sub five minute pace, you know, you know, relatively comfortably, um, are doing their easy runs flat nine to 11 minute pace. And like that, and when I, and I knew that, I knew that fact I'd read the studies, but I was still like, maybe even though the effort felt easy, it was just, you know, my muscular skeletal system couldn't keep up with that effort. Uh, even if my cardiovascular system couldn't, so I was really beating myself up. So like anyone listening out there, there's no such thing as too easy on easy days. You know, that's how you can, um, that's the only way you can get the most out of your hard days. And, and honestly, if you are finding yourself, if you're like, man, I have a bunch of these niggles, you know, my lower legs hurt all the time, then slow you. I almost, you know, 50% of that, I bet is people running their, uh, easy runs too fast. Yep. That's, uh, yep. I think that's some really good advice. What about diet? 
So I just started working with a nutritionist um, after my Tarawara DNF to like help. We specifically targeted pain um, and uh, inflammation reduction, and that has gone a, a huge, a huge way. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't have a super strict diet. You know, my, uh, nutritionist was kind of appalled at the amount of processed foods I eat. Like I eat a ton of chips. I I've gotten better, <laughs> but you know, ton of chips, uh, you know, chips where I could be eating chickpeas or, and stuff like that, you know, chips for dinner when I should be eating a sweet potato or a bowl of rice. Um, and so it's gotten a lot better, uh, but I, I, you know, I have celiac disease, which means I can't eat gluten. Um, so that, but that's the only restriction I have. Okay. And so, what advice, if there was a young runner out there, a young eighteen-year-old cat who wanted to get into ultra running, running and turn it into a career, what would, what advice would you give on the career front, sponsorships, and that kind of thing? I would say don't put all your eggs in that basket right now, but still keep the dream alive and work hard. Get a job, get something that keeps you occupied and motivated. Because even now as a pro ultra runner, I'm only happy when I'm constantly busy. You know, I'm coaching constantly. I have other obligations. I write and edit for a publication. So don't put all your eggs in the ultra running basket because as wonderful as it is, it's not... If, if that's all you're doing, it's not fulfilling work. Um, so go to school, you know, or, you know, if you don't want to, you know, go to a university, you know, find a specialty that you want to do, but still keep that dream alive, still train and believe you can be, you know, that professional ultra runner. I think so much of it is like me telling Lewis, like, I will get that FKT. I had no reason to think I could do that. You know, um, I, I hadn't been running, I, you know, that, FKT at the time was eight hours and we'd done it at that day in 16 hours a day that I said I was going to get the FKT. So like keep that dream alive, but man, it sure helps your happiness. Um, when you're also, uh, you know, doing something else or have another passion. Um, you know, I've really like, I, you know, I love teaching, but as a coach, like I, I think, you know, I found what I was made to do and like coaching although running is my passion and like I find it so fulfilling and if I don't get out every day I you know I if I don't get out and run five days a week then you know I definitely go a little insane but um coaching is what fulfills me you know coaching you know Ryan knows every single one of my athletes just like he knew every single one of my students I get just excited talking about them as I get excited talking about you know my projects or it's more excited a lot of times and you know everyone needs something like that uh it doesn't have to be coaching it can be you know painting or it can be writing or it can be engineering or whatever but you I think to be a successful ultra runner to be successful at a lot of things you need something else Right, right. You need that balance. Yeah, exactly. What the sport of ultra running as a whole? Wh where do you see it at right now? Like the 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 positives and the negatives, and where do you see it going? Um, you know, I think there's so much positive. I think it's, um, I think it's 
like the community is unmatched, you know, people are generally welcoming. Um, I think we're experiencing some growing pains right now with the, uh, you know, introduction of, you know, more sponsorship money and which, you know, I don't think is a bad thing at all. I think things are just getting figured out and how it's going to work and how uh, brands are going to support pros and how races are going to support pros. Um, you know, but I don't have a whole lot of bad things to say about ultra running other than maybe pick up your damn gel wrappers off the trail. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you poop in the woods, bury it. Um, (laughs) What what about people who leave their dog's poop bags on the side of the trail? You know, as long as they pick it back up, it's fine. But if they just leave it there, you know, you might, (laughs) you're not doing anything better by, uh, you know, leaving the poop in the bag. (laughs) That is because your bag's compostable. doesn't mean it's going to compost right there on the trail. It has to be processed. You know, and I just think if runners can encourage other runners to be more responsible and respectful. And I think, you know, that's the thing. I think as the sport grows and people realize how special it is, uh, you know, it, it, you know, we, that we are going to get, you know, the sport's going to gain more stewards of the trail, you know, people who care, but I hope it doesn't turn into, you know, when people run on a track, they're not thinking about the condition of the track. They're thinking about how can I throw down the fastest time. And I hope that doesn't turn into, you know, and although uh, while I respect throwing down the fastest time possible on trails occasionally, I hope that's not all the trail gives, you know, the newcomers in the sport. I hope there is also, you know, you see the trail and, or, and, you know, as what it is, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a gift. And, uh, while a track is awesome, you know, being outside in the woods gives you so much more and you can't treat it with that, you know, disregard that you can't attract. Um, so I just, I just hope that, you know, newcomers, you know, respect and love the mountains and the trails, uh, you know, as much as the community has been rooted in, you know, if that makes sense. You, you mentioned just a second ago on how events and the professional athletes, the interaction there, what were you referencing as part of your growing pains comment? Um, Oh, you mean like brand supporting athletes and things? Yeah, brand supporting athletes and how events support athletes and that specifically, what were you talking about? Uh, I mean like a professional marathoner, the marathon will pay an athlete to go. And I think, that that's gonna have to happen um uh like the best marathon and i'm not saying ultra running has to get to this point anytime soon or but i'm thinking you know just uh the best in the world and i'm not saying i'm one of them i'm saying you know i'm as much of a fan of the sport as i am a competitor and i want to see the best in the world line up uh and race each other and i think for that to happen a lot of times um races are going to have to start, you know, supporting athletes get in, you know, it's going to have to be part, not only, you know, their entry. Sometimes if you're lucky, you know, you'll get a ticket into the race, but also doing appearance fees. Like um, I know some of the top professional marathoners will get tens of thousands of dollars to go race, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to go race a marathon. And while I don't think ultra running should be there yet, um, I think it'll encourage, uh, you know, less hostility um in the sport and not that there's a ton but they're definitely like um, amongst the uh you know the small pool of elites there definitely is and i think 
that might reduce if there's, you know, if more people can make a living off the sport. And I think races supporting athletes is a huge part. I think uh, brands have a lot of catching up to do supporting women as much as they support men. I think the sport really needs to diversify. And part of that is brands supporting all types of athletes um, across the board, not just, you know, what looks best in a magazine or, you know, what the, the market thinks best, it looks best in the magazine. So I think there's a lot of growing pains that brands and athletes and races have to do. Right. There seems to be a disproportionate amount of dollars that the brands are going, that it's not making its way to the athletes. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And only, and it, when it does make it to the athlete, it's, it's disproportionately white men. Um, it like disgustingly and white women too, you know, but especially white men, it's still, you know, women are getting paid way less, um, than the highest paid male athlete. And, uh, that's not okay. And it's not okay that, you know, it across the board, men and women, it's one demographic, you know, um, I would like to see way more diversity in the sport across cultures and, um, people and, uh, I think it'll definitely, you know, um, make the sport more competitive, you know, and that's the only way we're going to grow it is by brands supporting all people across all, um, you know, all sanctions. Yeah. The, the events athletes are such an important ecosystem for any industry, outdoor industry. Um, it's almost like they're pulling, it's, it's like they're just taking too many trees out of the forest where the forest can't quite thrive. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen that in, uh, in several different outdoor sports over time. Mm-hmm. What's uh, the rest of your 2020 year look like? What are, what are uh, obviously you're at some point um, looking to give this FKT on the rim to rim trails or any other um, things on your horizon? You know, I just got my last race canceled, so I'm uh, going to, you know, look at the calendar and figure some stuff out. I definitely uh, have some projects in the work that I'm not quite ready to announce, but um, we'll uh, stay tuned. Nice. Is there anything else that I didn't cover on this interview that you'd want to share with our listeners? Uh, You know... All I got to say is uh, take care of the places and the people that take care of you. That means no trash in the trail. Um, You know, don't step off trail, you know, respect where you are. You know, there's a reason the established trails are where they are, especially in high Alpine uh, places. Uh, We, we don't want to disrupt, you know, these really delicate environments and uh, respect other athletes out there. Um, it's the only way we're going to grow the sport, you know, just be respectful. Um, just, you know, pick up your trash, smile at other athletes, you know, do the right thing when you're, uh, even when no one's looking out on the trail. Where can our listeners follow you and especially learn more about your coaching program? Are you taking on other athletes right now? Yeah, I'm taking on a few athletes. I have uh, a few open spots right now. Um, if you find me at Cat Brad at, on Instagram, that's C A T B E R A D, um, or give me an email at chbradley91 at gmail.com. That's uh, the best place to reach me um, as a coach, and uh, or catbrad.com. Um, I have a little, you know, coaching 
I'm not very good at technology, so I apologize that my <laughs> my website's simple. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I can't wait to bring you back on the show when you get another shot of this at this FKT at the, at the <laughs> awesome. Grand Canyon. You know, I've made I've made eight trips down that river, and uh, it's such an uh, it's such an amazing place. Uh, it really, really is. It definitely a piece of my heart over there. Hey, one more thing before I let you go. Have you ever thought about or heard of any of the folks who have done the um, hiked the entire Grand Canyon from the bottom to the top within the rim? Yeah, I have in that, you know, man, I have so many dream projects and that, it, you know, it's a quite the undertaking in a way that no no other project is because it's so desolate um you know for so long but it's certainly you know quite a feat for anyone who's done it yeah i mean it's 800 miles it's i don't know how many thousands of feet of vertical there's days where you're struggling to find water um, there's a very interesting online article. I'll put it in the show notes to some guys who actually did it. One guy was Pete McBride. I can't think of the other guy's name. Um, but I know I'm not Lewis, but I'm just going to go ahead and challenge you to that one. I'm going to plant it in your, <laughs> <laughs> plant it in your ear. It's definitely in there, but we'll see. I'm, it's certainly something I've been looking at. So, <laughs> well, Kat, thank you so much and, and, and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great talking to you.